Good morning, Vertical! Woo! You know what Rich says? Sunday is fun day. And it's true. Today is going to be a fun day. I mean, I'm already having fun. The worship team killed it. I love that first song they sang. When God is in it, something amazing happens. And I truly believe he's in this morning. Uh, I've had the privilege of diving into a, a passage of scripture for a whole week. And I encourage you, if you've never done that, if you've never said, hey, I'm just going to stay in this one passage for a whole week, I double dog dare you, do it, because it's amazing. Okay, God shows you things within that passage that you would never have seen if you just read it one time. He reveals things to you. So I encourage you to do that. <clears throat> but hey, good morning. Uh, my name is Andreas. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at Vertical Church. Um, I've been here for about a month and a half, and I just want to say, first of all, thank you to everyone for just making my wife and I feel welcomed and loved. Um, you guys have really, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, we have loved our time so far here, and we are so excited for what God is going to do in and through Vertical Church. Hey, you know, we're in this series called Symbols, and Pastor Rich, last week, as Bruce mentioned, tackled baptism. He tackled baptism, and he addressed a couple questions. He said, first of all, what is baptism? Why is baptism so important? And then if you're not baptized, what's up with that? And then, and then the last question he said is, what do we do next, right? He said his big idea was never minimize what God has maximized. He said, never do we see in Scripture that we should celebrate Jesus' birth, but we do see in Scripture that we should celebrate his life, death, and resurrection. And so we're going to be diving into a passage today, and I cannot wait to do this with you all. Are you excited? We're jumping into God's Word. But first, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this morning, God. We thank you for how you are moving in and through Vertical Church, Father, and even in this community and surrounding communities. God, we thank you for your Word. Lord, we thank you that it is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged two -edged sword, Lord, that it pierces both joint and marrow. Father, we pray for this morning, God, that that's exactly what your word would do, that, that it would not return void. God, we love you. We thank you for the power that your holy word holds. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Today, we are going to be tackling communion. We're going to remember what Jesus did for us. So if this is your first time, this is a great first Sunday. Let me just say that, because we're going to be diving directly into what Jesus did and why he did it. But first, let's take a look at two more worldly symbols we see in our culture today. Uh, Rich defined a symbol as this, a mark or a charter that point to and or represents something else, something greater than itself. The first symbol I want to show you is a stop sign. Some of you in this room, including myself sometimes, we do what's called a California stop. We roll through that thing, right? Do some of us, come on. Oh, wait, don't raise your, don't. There's a cop in the building, Can't, you know? I don't want to get you all in trouble. Don't raise, don't raise your hands. But to be honest with you, some of us, we do that, right? We just roll straight through a stop sign. I remember in college, I had a friend. He's from Malaysia. He was a foreign exchange student. And uh, I had heard rumors that he did not believe in stop signs. Can you believe that? This man's like, this is what I heard, okay? I didn't believe it at first. But then him and I were supposed to serve an inner city Scranton, Pennsylvania. So he decides, <coughs> hey, Dre, can I, 
can I drive? I said, sure, man. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. Uh, I get in the car with him, and I quickly find out that the rumor was true. It was one of the craziest drives I've ever been on. I was scared for my life. Hey, the second symbol I want to show you <laughs> is a speed limit sign. Some of us in this room, we still remember the first time we got a speeding ticket. I remember the first one I got, uh, I was, in, I think, freshman or sophomore in college, <laughs> and I was at home, and uh, I was driving the back roads of Pennsylvania, and as I'm driving the back roads, I'm honestly thinking, there are no cops out here. Let me tell you, sometimes there are, and I found out the hard way. Next thing you know, I'm going about 10 or 12 over, and I see those flashing lights behind me, and I'm like, man, <laughs> I knew it. You know, I had to pull over, and we, we talked through it, and... Uh, I got a ticket that day. Uh, it wasn't the brightest moment. I had to tell my wife at the time she was my girlfriend. She wasn't happy. Um, but you know, sometimes in life, we see symbols, and we know what these symbols mean. We know what they mean, but what we do is we ignore them. We kind of do our own thing, right? Sometimes we do California stop. Sometimes we go above the speed limit. Today, we're going to see in the book of 1 Corinthians, the church of Corinth, they see a symbol. They know a symbol. They know exactly what it means, but they ignore it. They do their own thing. They pull a California pit stop or a California rule. So let's dive in. First, if we're going to look at communion, we have to look at the history of the Passover meal. Y'all know what the Passover meal is? It's all right. You can raise your hands. It's church. Y'all know what the Passover meal is? The Passover meal was instituted or initiated by God with the Israelites, mainly because the Israelites were held captive by the Egyptians, right? And over 400 years of slavery, God sets them free. And the Israelites are given this, what's called a Passover meal. Basically, what happened is you have this guy named Moses, and he comes in, he's like, God, I'm going to lead these, lead these people, and we're going to get them set free. And Moses steps in, and what ends up happening is uh, God says, all right, we're going to try to change Pharaoh's heart. I want to show Pharaoh my might, my power, my position. And so he sends 10 plagues to Egypt, 10 plagues to, to, to kind of change Pharaoh's heart and mind. God knew exactly what was going to happen. God's all-knowing, okay? So he knew what was going to happen. So we get to the 10th plague. You would think, Pharaoh, dude, after 10 times of signs, change your mind, dude. But he didn't. And so what ends up happening is you get to the 10th plague, and it's the plague of death. The plague of death is simply this, that all the firstborn sons in the land of Egypt would die. That's some serious stuff. All the firstborn sons of Egypt would die. And that includes the Israelites' firstborns within the land of Egypt. But here's the kicker. God tells the people of Israel, he says, hey, do this. Put, sacrifice a lamb and put that lamb's blood above the doorpost. And when you do this, the death angel will pass by that house and your firstborn son will live. So this is how we get what's called the Passover meal. It's to remember that the death angel passed over their houses and the firstborn son would live. And God ends up setting his people free of slavery. This meal was a celebration. It was a time of remembering. It's still celebrated and remembered by Jewish people all over the world today. But I love this. This meal really points to a different sense of 
deliverance, a greater sense of deliverance. You see, the Passover meal points to communion. The night before Jesus was arrested, he was in an upper room. He was in the upper room with the closest people to him. This is before he was beaten, arrested, mocked, and crucified. He's in this upper room. And he takes the Passover meal. They're celebrating the Passover meal. And this is what Jesus does. He takes it one step further. Passover meal is a big deal. But what Jesus is about to do is ten times significantly more. See, Moses, he was the man. But he wasn't the Messiah. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. That lamb's blood that I talked about earlier that went above the doorpost, that blood was significant, but it was nowhere near as significant as the lamb's blood that was going to be spilled on Calvary. See, this is that point where we see Passover and we, and we, we transfer and we, we take it a step further into communion. What Jesus is about to do is the biggest news ever. Jesus not only brings about physical redemption, he brings about spiritual redemption. So let's open up our Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So we've got some background on what communion is, 1 Corinthians <coughs> chapter 11. Let's jump in, all right? Before we get there, I want to give you some background of this passage. This passage, man, let me tell you, there's some good stuff in this passage. I loved it, all right? Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. He's writing to them, and, and you'll notice throughout the chapters, he starts praising them for some things, and then he starts pointing those things out within this church that were not, they were not doing correctly, okay? And so he, he's going to call out, he's going to rebuke, he's going to correct the church of Corinth regarding communion. And at this time, there are these feasts or these meals called love feasts, and you can find these in the book of Jude. Basically, they would have these love feasts as a church together, and then they would partake in communion. And what the Corinthians are doing is they're, they're, they're falling into gluttonous, and they're falling into drunkenness. And Paul's like, mm-mm, that's not how we celebrate the Lord's death. There are three parts to this passage. You have the problem, the purpose, and the preparation. So let's dive in with the problem. What's the problem within the church of Corinth? Well, let's start in verse 17 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It says, in the following directives, I have no praise for you. Remember how I mentioned earlier, Paul was praising them for things? He says, for this, I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. Ouch. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat in and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating 
those who have nothing. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. Some heavy stuff. Paul's calling out this church. This dude's got some guts. He's also got the Holy Spirit with him. So what's the problem within the church of Corinth? They aren't coming together unified. Some of us today, I think we see this within our own churches today. We're not coming together unified. Some of you might say, well, Dre, hey, we're all here together on a Sunday morning. Look at this room. And to that I would say, biblical unity is much more than getting a room packed full of people. Amen? Much more than getting a room packed full of people. And that's what Paul's saying to the church of Corinth. He's saying it's much more than getting a room packed full of people. We noted earlier that he said this. He said, your meanings do more harm than good. That's a punch to the face. That's a blow. I mean, think about it. Imagine yourself walking into the church of Corinth as they're taking communion. You see individuals who are eating as much as they can to the point where they're just, I don't even know, they're just overwhelmed, right? They're so full. And then you have some who are just drinking as much as they want. And when I'm talking about drinking, I'm talking about they're drinking wine. So they're getting drunk. And then you have some in the corner who are less fortunate, who are poor, and they aren't eating anything. So they're starving. And Paul's like, hey, that is not right. That's humiliating as a church. He's saying you have it all wrong. You are taking what is meant to bring you together all about you. You're making it about yourselves. You are embarrassing and humiliating the church. It's about coming together in unity. The actual word, catch this, the actual word communion, it's a compound word. What's a compound word? It's when you have two words that come together and form one word. Common union. Communion. What's communion all about? Unity. It's about coming together in unity. It's all about connection. Connection with God and connection with others. Amen? Some of you may recall earlier in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, hey, some of you are saying, I follow Paul and I follow Apollos. And Paul's saying, hey, don't do that kind of stuff. Don't break into little cliques. It's not high school lunch. It's not a time for the jocks to be in one corner, the nerds to be over here, and the band people to be over here, and those who are in the musics or arts over here. It's time for you to come together unified. When you come together unified, you are representing Jesus Christ. But when we break into cliques like this, we look so disunified that the world looks at us and they say, I don't want to be a part of that. They're disorganized. They're disunified. We need to come together with one another unified. That's what Paul is telling the church of Corinth, and that's what God is telling us today here at Vertical Church. We need to come together unified, especially 
when we partake of the Lord's Supper. This caused fractions within the church. As I said earlier, we see the rich doing everything they want to do, eating as much as they want, drinking as much as they want, and we see the poor going hungry. <coughs> Pardon me, going hungry. And that's not what God wants. See, communion should compel us to express genuine love for others and for God. Amen. They were going through the motions, but they weren't really remembering what Christ did. Heck, most of them wouldn't even have remembered, right? Did you know that Jesus, he prays for us? He prays for future believers. We see this in John chapter 17. And what he prays for is he prays for us to have unity. Because unity is that important. John chapter 17 verses 20 to 23 say this. My prayer is not for them alone. This is Jesus speaking. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you and me. If we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we are being prayed for by Christ. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Y'all catch that? Complete unity. Not a little bit of unity. Not a Small part of unity. Complete. Can we all say complete? complete? This is Jesus praying for us. He's saying come to complete unity. Because the world is watching. The world is watching. And this is what I have for you. To be unified. To bring glory to my name. The verse goes on and says, Then the world will know. The world will know. That you sent me. And have loved them even as you've loved me. Y'all catch that? The world will know that we follow Jesus if we're unified, if we have unity. Jesus wants his people to be fully committed to his mission. That we love one another as he has loved us. He doesn't want us fighting with one another. He doesn't want us to split apart. He doesn't want us to break apart. He doesn't want us to be in cliques. See, everyone in Christ is equal. Our knees fall at the cross. If all of us right now, our knees fell to the ground, we'd all be on level ground. Granted, some of us are taller than others. I get that. But we're all on level ground. We're at the cross. None of us in here are greater than another. We are all equal in Christ. Doesn't matter your ethnicity. Doesn't matter how much money you have. Doesn't matter how little money you have. We are all equal in Christ. I remember growing up, and my mom, God bless her, man, she's awesome. My mom would invite people in our community who had gone through divorces and splits to come to our Thanksgiving meal. She would do this for two reasons. Number one, she wanted them to know that they were loved. 
And number two, she wanted them to be in community, in a family. She wanted them to experience what unity was all about. That's the same thing with God. He wants us as his children, as his family, to come together unified. He wants us to bring others with us. Amen? Communion is all about connection. Connection with God and connection with others. Let's jump in to our second part of the passage, the purpose. The purpose. What is the purpose of communion? Well, that's a great question, and I can't wait to dive into it with you. What is the purpose? Well, let's jump into our passage again. Verse 23, it says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Y'all circle those two words. For you. Circle them. If you have your Bibles out, circle them. If you have an app, highlight it. Do something with it. Those are two of the most powerful words, in my opinion, in all of Scripture. He did it for you and for me. The passage goes on and says, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, <coughs> after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You all know when we take communion, what we're doing, we're sharing the gospel. Every time we take communion together, the gospel message is being shared in this room, in, in, in other churches, etc. These are some of the most beautiful verses in all of Scripture. And it's kind of funny because it's smack dab in the middle of Paul's rebuke. He's correcting this church. And he had some of the most beautiful words in all of Scripture. You see, Paul, the author of this passage, Holy Spirit inspired, he never knew Jesus in a, in a physical sense, right? He wasn't, uh, he wasn't a disciple. He wasn't there in the upper room when... <coughs> when <coughs> Jesus was celebrating the Passover meal, okay? So what that means is Paul's getting direct revelation from God about the Lord's Supper. And that's important to know. That's important to notice. And I love how Paul makes sure to remind us that Christ instituted communion the night he was betrayed. Y'all know what the literal meaning of that is? While he was being betrayed... While he was being betrayed, he was celebrating the Passover meal. Judas was going to betray him while he's celebrating this meal. See, one of the greatest acts of wickedness in all of mankind's history, what Judas was about to do, really revealed that Jesus was going to show the greatest act of love the world would ever know. By going to the cross. Let's talk about the bread for a moment. In the Old Testament, we, 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 we read about how God fed the people of Israel with manna and bread. This bread, though, never fully satisfied 
the people of Israel. And if you go back and you read um, in Exodus, Exodus chapter 12, um, and a little bit earlier, I encourage you to do that, you'll notice that it never really fully satisfied them. They always wanted more. They always wanted something else. And that led to them going in a different direction where God had to bring them back on the path again, right? But in this passage, the bread is a symbol of Christ's body. His body that was wounded for our our transgressions, his body that was bruised for our iniquity and chastised for our peace. This is the bread. When Jesus says, this is my body, when it breaks, that's literally what happens on the cross. Jesus is beaten. He's bruised. He's spit upon, right? It's a symbol to show this is what Jesus was about to endure physically. I also want us to note Jesus never had a broken body. just want to note that real quick. Or a broken bone in his body at that moment. All right, let's jump into the wine. <clears throat> the wine is a reminder that without the shedding of the blood, there is no removal of sin. Remember earlier when I talked about the lamb's blood that had to be sacrificed in order that the death angel would pass? There has to be sacrifice. And Jesus was that sacrifice. It was his blood that ran. That's why we call him the Lamb of God. He is the Lamb. The Catholic Church believes, and there's a theological term for this, they believe in this, this thing called transubstantiation. Okay, it's a big word, but this is simply what it means. It means they believe <coughs> that the elements, the bread and the wine, literally change in to Jesus' body and his blood as you partake. That is not biblical. That is not what God's word teaches. God's word teaches us that his body and his blood are symbolic, that the bread and the blood represent symbolically. Let me give you two reasons why. First, when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, his body had not yet even been given, nor had his blood been shed. Secondly, Jesus was literally holding the bread and the wine in his hands. He wasn't holding his body and his his blood in his hands, right? When Jesus says, this is my body and this is my blood, this is symbolic, this is a picture of what Christ did. It's a memorial of what Christ did. Earlier I said, circle those two words, for you. If you haven't done that, do it now. For you. Jesus died the death he did for you and for me. This is what the new covenant is all about. We no longer have to rely on animal sacrifices to make us right with God. Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient. When we come to Christ, he forgives us of our sins and remembers our sin no more, no matter what you did. Jeremiah chapter 31 talks about this new covenant. It says, no longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me, 
from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. I love the end of that. Remember our sins no more. Let me illustrate this to you. Why? Why are we supposed to remember? Well, I, I read a story about a man who was in his backyard. His man's in his backyard, and he, notice, <coughs> he notices over the fence his neighbor. So his neighbor comes over, and he says, Hey, John, I was at this, uh, <laughs> this seminar yesterday with my wife. It was about our memory and our thoughts. He's like, really? Who was speaking? He said, uh, uh, what's the name of that flower that smells so good and has thorns? The neighbor responds, uh, a rose. The guy says, Rose, what was the name of that speaker we heard yesterday? <laughs> you know, all our, our memories are not very good. We're right there with that guy for honest with one another, right? Sometimes we forget the simplest things. How many of us in this room, we have to use a Google calendar just to get through the week? How many of us? 100%. We have to use it to get through the week. Why do we remember? Simply this, so we don't forget. So we don't forget. It's that simple. We remember so we don't forget. We remember so we don't forget the greatest thing that's ever happened in the history of the world. That Jesus died the death that all of us in this room fully deserve to die and to pay that penalty. Yet he did it for us. He was our substitute. He took our place. Praise God. We don't have to do it on our own. Man, that's a lot of pressure. And the reality is we can't even do it on our own. It doesn't matter how many good things I do in my life. It doesn't matter what I did yesterday. What matters is that I have a relationship with Jesus. That when God looks at me, he sees his son. Because his son has taken my place. When he looks at you, if you place your faith in Jesus, he sees, your son, he sees his son. Amen? Let me illustrate for you a different way. Memorial Day. We celebrate it, I believe, every May, right? Memorial Day is a day in, 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 in our calendar where we remember those men and women who shed their blood for our great country. And if we're honest with ourselves, some of us, we didn't even know that. We just get in our boats, or we go grill, and we don't think twice about what the men and women who have served this great country, who died and gave their lives for this country, did. So Memorial Day is a day where we're supposed to remember. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we celebrate the memorial of our Savior who paid the ultimate sacrifice. We remember so we don't forget. Communion is all about connection, connection with God and connection with others. This leads us to our third and final part of this passage, the preparation. You all ready to prepare? You guys ready to prepare with me? Let's go. Here we go. Preparation. What does the preparation for communion look like? Verse 27, it says, So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. 
everyone ought to examine themselves. Highlight that. Examine themselves. Before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat <coughs> and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink themselves. Dr- and drink judgment on themselves. This is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard <coughs> to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Right? Unity Say unity. Unity, that's it. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home. So then when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. What does preparation for community look like? It looks like examination. And I'm not talking about like a paper test, okay? I'm talking about self-examination. These verses address the state and condition of believers' hearts before we partake in communion. That word unworthy in verse 27, some of you may be thinking, well, Dre, in Christ, I am worthy. And that is so true. In Christ, we are worthy to take communion. Here at Vertical, we believe in what's called an open table. That if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you can partake in communion. But if you haven't, I suggest that you sit back and you examine Where am I at with Jesus? Who is this man called Jesus? What did he do? Right? These are questions you should ask yourself. But this word unworthy. See, as believers, when we come to the table, when we come to communion, some of us, we come in a flippant, lackadaisical, superficial mindset, right? We, we carelessly participate in the Lord's Supper. Some of us, our minds are so fixed on things outside of Christ, maybe a Facebook post, maybe, maybe we're looking at the stocks, maybe we're looking at our phones, maybe we got stuff going on at home, that we don't even think about Christ as we're partaking in communion. Paul's saying, don't do that. That's coming in an unworthy manner. What state of mind are you in when you partake in communion? We're going to be doing that a little later on. I want you to ask yourself that. As you're sitting there, as the piano is playing, ask yourself, what state of mind Am I in? Where's my heart? Is my heart fixed on Christ? Or is it fixed on something else? Simply put, are you thinking of Christ as you participate in communion? Some of us, we walked in today and we have a spirit of bitterness towards someone in this room, this very room. Some of us, we walked in and we have anger against someone in this room. (laughs) Listen, I would just suggest that before you partake, 
confess that to God. Maybe confess that to, to that brother or sister you're struggling with loving. Or maybe you have bitterness against. I don't want anyone in this room to come in an unworthy manner. I don't think Paul does either with, through this passage. He wants us to come to communion to the table in a worthy manner. Maybe you're struggling with a sin and you have not confessed that yet to God. You have not repented of that sin. I plead with you. Examine yourself. Reflect. Get right with Jesus. I love what the, the message translation says. It says, examine your motives. Test your heart. And come to this meal in holy awe. Communion is a big deal. We should not think so little of Jesus' death. That we come in an unworthy manner. We need to come in a worthy manner. We're talking about the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who literally gave his life for you and for me. For you. We can't come in an unworthy manner. What are we doing? We need to come in a worthy manner. Think about this. You know, if I was to run a marathon tomorrow and I never trained, I never drank the water I should have been drank, drinking, I never trained, <coughs> what would happen? I would probably collapse. Who knows? Right? I would probably tear something. I would look like a fool. I needed to, I, what I should have done was prepare to run that marathon. And so I'm asking, as brothers and sisters in Christ in this room, as we take three to four minutes, prepare. Prepare your hearts and your minds for what communion is all about, for what Christ did. I want to hit on one more thing real quick. You'll notice in this passage it says, it uses the word... <coughs> Discipline. Let's see here. It's in verse 32. It says discipline. God is a father. What do fathers and mothers do with their children when they're going the wrong direction? They discipline them. Not to say, ooh, I'm right but to say, I care about you. I love you. And what you're doing, it's going to lead you the wrong way. It's going to lead you to pain. It's going to lead you to regret, to regret some things. So does God discipline his children? Yes, he does. So I wanted us to take note of that today. Communion is all about connection, right? Connection with God in connection with others. So in a few minutes, I'll be back up to lead us in communion. Like I said earlier, here at Vertical, we believe in what's called an open table. And if you've placed your faith in Jesus, uh, you can partake. In a moment, I want to I, I challenge you to take this time to remember. Get it right with Jesus. Take time to get it right with one another. Maybe you've got to get up out of your seat and go talk with someone. That's all right. Do that. I'll be back up. Let's take uh, three to four minutes, all right?
Just get right with God. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, again, literal meaning while he was being betrayed, he took the bread. He said, this is my body. It will be broken for you. I want to call up our ushers real quick. We're going to be helping with communion. This is my body that is broken for you. Remember. Take and eat and remember. And then he said, 
In the same way, after supper, saying, the cup, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. In remembrance of Jesus and his blood spilled on Calvary. What we're going to do now is we're going to exit to the right and come back on the left. All right? So you were able to come up and take. So come on.
before I pray and end our service this morning, I want to call up the prayer team. Yeah, she's like going, this, oh, I got to go back. I want to call up the prayer team mainly because you know, there, there might be someone in here who's yet to give their life to Jesus Christ. I plead and I beg with you that today would be the day that you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. And maybe today you're like, hey, I have questions. Come up, come to the prayer team, come to us after service, and we'll, we'll try to walk through this, these questions with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ, for his death on that cross, being arrested, beaten, scorned, spit upon, mocked, all things that we all in this room deserved. Yet he took our place. He is that sacrificial lamb. And we praise you because his blood is sufficient. You give each and every single one of us in this room by your grace and mercy an opportunity to have a relationship with you. That's radical. That is radical love. We thank you for that, Lord. God, I pray that as we leave this place, God, that you would help us. Help us, Lord, to be unified, to be united, and to point others towards you. God, we love you. We thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all for coming this morning. You are dismissed.